Welcome to the Ponder a New podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Myalis, and in this podcast, we look at these sacred and ancient scriptures from story and consider, ponder anew what they mean for our time and our place. And this season, we're looking at the book of Nehemiah, who was given the task of rebuilding ancient Jerusalem, for we are all in a season, one way, shape, or form of another, of rebuilding our lives. And in this episode, the fourth of the this season, we're going to be considering how Nehemiah in his rebuilding brings together faith and reason. He brings together the head and the heart, uh, something that I think we all hope to and struggle at the same time to do. So without further ado, we'll, uh, we'll let the rebuilding begin. Last episode, we focused on chapter 2, but there was a little piece that I said, we're going to come back to that, and I want to come back to that this week, and and that's starting at verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11. And by this point, Nehemiah has uh, arrived finally in Jerusalem, and now that's where we pick up. So I came to Jerusalem, and there was there for three days. Then I got up during the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I took was the animal I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate, past the dragon spring to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gate that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on the fountain gate into the king's pool, but there was no place for the animal I was riding to continue. So I went up by way of the valley by night and inspected the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest that were to do the work. What has drawn me back to the person of Nehemiah? What makes me, again, feel this sort of kinship with him, uh, and maybe even want to be more like him, at least in, in the first part of the book, is that on the one hand, he has passionate emotions. He finds out, for example, that Jerusalem is in ruins. And his response is to grieve, to fast, and to weep for days. And the prayer is, is one of confession and lament and, and really opening himself up to God's plan and purposes in, in Nehemiah's life. It's, again, this beautiful, humble prayer. So it's this person of deep faith and, and passion, emotions. Yet, here we meet Nehemiah, and he, he goes out and he's... He's on his hands and knees surveying Jerusalem by night as he wants to, he's strategically thinking, okay, I need to understand what's in Jerusalem here, but I can't let the cat out of the bag before I figure out what's going on. So he's, again, he's using his mind and he's collecting data and he's, he's going to analyze the situation. And it's this awesome combination of somebody who's got passionate heart yet a cool mind. And, and I love that. 
It turns out that faith and reason in the Bible are not opposed to each other. Uh, the great commandment is, right, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your strength, and your mind. There, there is no division of this. They're not seen as opposites. What happened was, uh, is that there was this war for 30 years in, in Europe called the Thirty Years' War. And afterwards, uh, people blame uh, religion for it, although you could also blame a couple of other factors for it, frankly. But religion gets a lot of the blame for it. And um, so there becomes this not only distrust of religion, but also just of faith. And it's basically decided this is the Enlightenment then, out of which you get people like Jefferson or Ben Franklin in our country, uh, plenty of others in Europe. But that, that reason is how we're going to do things in the public domain. It's also uh, seen as primary and seen as male. And then faith is sort of like an emotionally weaker counterpart, um, typically for females, right? This is sort of how the Enlightenment sort of bifurcates faith and reason. Uh, and I think actually uh, more strongly emphasizes gender roles when it comes to the church, all sorts of stuff. But the people in the Bible we meet, like Nehemiah, they do not have a, an Enlightenment mindset, it's a pre-enlightenment culture. It's a culture that hasn't had faith and reason, head and heart, quite so severed. And so for Nehemiah, he can say, on the one hand, I told no one what God had put into my heart to do. Recognizing this is a, a sort of a, a matter of heart and will and, and sort of inspiration. Yet on the other hand, now he's got to go out and he's got to like survey the whole town. It's head and heart together. And it turns out um, that that's actually, again, how most biblical people function. Head and heart are working together, and that's actually really how we as humans function too. So uh, many years ago, I, I felt a call to seminary, and that was uh, a very emotional one in terms of the stories and people and events that led to that. Yet it was also one that demanded a lot of reason, thinking through the how, the money, the time, the location, so many other logistics involved. In the church, we like to call this thing where you have to do both uh, the head and the heart. We have to really bring them together to make decisions. We like to call this discernment, a process of discernment. And so my first set of questions is, what are decisions in life where you have had to bring together your head and your heart to make a significant change in your life. And then sort of as a corollary, uh, where right now in terms of the decisions you're making, as we move out of sort of every 24 hours have to pivot and shifting, but starting to think a little bit bigger picture, sort of what do I want life to look like? Where might God be in the midst of this? How might God be wanting me to move ahead? Sort of how your head and your heart are, are sort of coming together. Where is this discernment happening in your life? Okay. So the, the thing I want to sort of keep going on this head and heart thing and push it a little bit deeper and say uh, part of the challenge then um, is that, um, again, the church kind of bought into the Enlightenment and either you sort of become the church of reason or the church of faith um, and, and really not always teaching people how to put this together. I think part of the result of this then is that there becomes a fascination, a fascination with Eastern religious practices of, of yoga and meditation and even mindfulness, 
which are really vehicles for discernment. Because what, what you're essentially saying is that the human uh, person needs time to filter through all of this and to put it all together. Or more deeply, to really sort out the voices that we're hearing and try to figure out what is God's voice in all this? And where does God really want me to move ahead? Turns out that the Christian tradition is rich with uh, pre-enlightenment, i.e. the first 1600 to 1700 years of Christianity, of resources around meditative practices to really draw oneself in more deeply to this mysterious presence of God that is somehow working on our hearts and minds to guide us forward, to again calibrate our head and our heart, uh, uh, to put them in dialogue that finally they can uh, both, so the whole person can say yes to, to the Lord. Uh, and I would just uh, be curious, um, have, have, and this is another question, have you in the churches you've attended over time been taught how to pray in a discerning way, in a meditative or reflective way. Um, and that could be, um, again, something, I'll just throw out some terms here, like Lectio Divina, or that could be, again, some sort of uh, Christian yoga, or that, again, could be some sort of other exercise or walking or running ways to pray, um, where, again, it's not just you talking to God, but, but sort of trying to give yourself time to listen and to sort of trust that the the Spirit is going to sort of help sort this out. So I'd just be curious for you, um, how have, have you been a part of communities of faith where you have been taught some of these, these ways of praying that are less asking God or talking to God and more creating a space in prayer to do holy listening to God, which again includes listening to both your head and your heart and trying to figure out kind of how this all fits together. Okay, so <laughs> there is, so Nehemiah brings together the head and the heart, faith and reason, and I hope that can give you permission to move ahead knowing that you can use all of these facilities that God has given you, that God can work through them. And, and also then uh, just a question about your own prayer life and, and maybe how some of these practices of trying to integrate sort of heart and head, emotion and reason, how, how that actually plays itself out within your own uh, faith and prayer life. The second half of the podcast, I want to focus on some leadership things that Nehemiah does. My hope is that wherever you are in terms of having leadership in your life, uh, that this can still be applicable but there really are, again, some things that Nehemiah does to not just himself, but to mobilize other people, which are really fascinating here. And Nehemiah, when he is going out and doing his midnight sort of data collection, he says he brings with him a few friends and his trusted steed. And my sense is that all of us have, I hope, that all of us have, you know, a handful of people that they'll go on those crazy midnight errands, or now that I, I'm in my 40s, maybe like, you know, 7.45 at night errands, but they'll, they'll go with me and do crazy stuff and kind of go along for the ride because, you know, they're my, 
They're my buddies. They're my friends. Uh, they're my spouse. They're my children, right? They don't whatever. So, so you have this sort of small core group that is going to go with you, but that's unlikely to, to be able to accomplish uh, the rebuilding, uh, especially on a larger scale of, say, uh, a, t- uh, you know, a big a team, a church, um, a nonprofit, a division of your company, a company as a whole. And uh, what Nehemiah tells us is that the officials did not know, this is verse 16, where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest uh, that were to do the work. Okay, so there are a whole group of people, nobles, priests, and officials. They have power. They have connections. And every day they look at these walls and they don't do anything about it. Wow, so Nehemiah now has to not, again, just motivate his friends or even the people on his sort of core staff who have been sent by the emperor to be with him, but he's got to motivate this broader group of people to participate in this rebuilding. And, and I want to say uh, before we do this that I, I suspect that the people of uh, these nobles and priests and all these people, that what Nehemiah proposes to rebuild the wall is probably something that they wanted to do. Uh, one of my senses about leadership is that it's really hard to take people where they don't want to go. I think typically leadership involves uh, helping people have the, the energy and, and the tactical plan to um, go maybe just a little bit further than they thought they could go, but probably something in the ballpark of what they were hoping for. But that's my own theory of, of leadership, and uh, you, can, you can tell me that I'm wrong there. Um, but So what happens is that Nehemiah, and, and what I want to bring this up for the leadership, is that Nehemiah is now going to bring the head and the heart together as a leader. Again, I think why Nehemiah is effective as a leader is not only because he sort of has uh, these resources of the king. Plenty of people have had resources in life and haven't been able to do squat with it. All of these officials, nobles, and priests in the town, they could have gotten the wherewithal uh, to somehow you know, do any of this rebuilding that Nehemiah does. But, but again, so it's not just that Nehemiah has resources, but Nehemiah is, as a leader, going to bring together the head and the heart to be able to motivate and inspire others. Okay? So, Nehemiah says to them, You see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates buried. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we may no longer suffer disgrace. I told them that the hand of my God had been gracious upon me. And the words that the king had spoken to me, they said, let us start building. So they committed themselves to the common good. What Nehemiah does here is beyond some... um, rhetoric of, you know, making the language now us, which is good leadership, right? But that's, that's like so 101. But, but, what he, but what he does is he tells them the story in verse 18. He says that the hand of my God had been gracious to me. He tells them a story of God's grace. And he tells them not just that the situation is bad, but he tells them the story of God's grace. Uh, a good leader 
not just a good preacher, but a good leader should be able to not only point out what is wrong, but should be able to, to communicate a story of grace, that, um, that there's a, a new day dawning, right? A sense of hope here. Um, and, and Nehemiah, again, is willing to share, be vulnerable, and talk about how God has been at work in his life. He gives them a witness. So Nehemiah speaks the language of the heart. This is broken. We can do better than this. And then he even goes further and and sort of says, this is how God has sort of come into my life, touched my heart, been with me to sort of accomplish this. Yet at the same time, we know that Nehemiah has been thinking through this and, and has a plan, right? He's not just said like, we can do this. He tells them, you know, hey, look, these are the resources that the king has, has given to me. So he, he's bringing both the sort of the, the know-how, like the tools to do it, um, but he's also, again, providing the story. And if there's a leader who can provide both the story and the tactical resources, that's actually what's going to open up and change people's hearts and help them move. Because then it says here in verse, um, in verse 18, then they said, let us start building. Now, the NRSV translates this, so they committed themselves to the common good. The, the literal uh, Hebrew there is their hands were strengthened for the good. And that's really cool because what it says is, is that the, the good hand of God has been upon me. And as the result of Nehemiah's word, now the, the hands of the, the Israelites here has been strengthened for the good. And so it begins with God's good hand and ends with the hands now of the people doing good. So uh, what I want to uh, reflect on with you is that Nehemiah... We, t- we showed earlier, we, we reflected together on how he's bringing together the head and the heart to figure out how he needs to move ahead. But now in the second part of, of this chapter 2 that we're reading today, he's putting the head and the heart together to lead and inspire others, becoming really through this an agent of God where the good hand of God gets translated into the hands of the people doing good. So my question for you is, um, when have you been or when have you seen other leaders bring this together where they both have a compelling narrative, where they can tell a story that speaks the truth about both um, something that's bad, but yet something that can be? Right? They've, got the, they've got the inspirational thing down, yet you, you also know that they have uh, the resources, that they, it's not just a good speech, but that they know how, uh, that they have a plan whereby you can get it done. And, and then as a reflection, when have uh, you in your life been the leader or had a leader who just had the, the story but not the plan? And when in your life have you been a leader, had a leader who had the plan, but not the story? 
So this uh, podcast today, this uh, fourth episode, was about how Nehemiah brings together the head and the heart. And what I wanted to do in the first part of the podcast is show how this has impacted Nehemiah on a a personal level in terms of his own journey, but then how this bringing together the head and the heart enables him to be an effective leader to help rebuild something beyond just his own sphere. This is what's going to allow him to rebuild something on on a grander, uh, in some ways hopefully in the end, more glorious scale. We hope this podcast has given you some food for thought, but hey, not just your thoughts, but your heart too, right? That it's uh, giving some thoughts and feelings to you, uh, worthy of discernment. So uh, each week we're meeting at a local uh, pub, those that are interested in discussing, or you can just uh, email me, uh, contact me, or again, if you're interested in being a part of some sort of online discussion, we can do that as well. What I'd like to do now, though, is to say a prayer for us. Holy God, you have given us, and we thank you for our head and our heart, our feelings and our thoughts, and we pray that you will continue to help us discern how to put this all together, that we might know how to move ahead and feel that this indeed is the way in which you're calling us, and to the extent that you've put us in and given us leadership roles that we can bring our head and our heart to that task, that we can mobilize others for the sake, as Nehemiah did, of the common good, that hands might be strengthened for service in your name. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.